Amazon and its founder, Jeff Bezos, didn't get to where they are by acting timid. When it comes to federal contracts, Amazon seems to follow a simple three-word formula. Protest, protest, protest. And it works. That's according to an investigation by Bloomberg government reporter Josh Axelrod, who joins me now. Josh, good to have you in studio. Tom, thanks so much for having me. And what did you find? You looked at the protest patterns by Amazon cloud services, Amazon web services, basically. And what did you discover here? Right. Well, Jeff Bezos wields this strategy of extraordinary aggression. That's as one source put it to me. I know it might sound a little redundant to talk about competition when we're in the the realm of government contracting here, but but Bezos turns it up a notch. I mean, it's really leave no stone unturned, fight every battle, um, use every tool at his disposal. And there's really two key contracts we can look at that that illuminate this approach. Right. The non-contract, you might say, or the dead program of Jedi at the Defense Department occupied, what, four, three, four, five years here. Mm -hmm. What happened there? So in 2019, in a surprise move, uh, the Pentagon awarded the Jedi contract to Microsoft, despite Amazon Web Services being the market leader in cloud services. Bezos went right to the Court of Federal Claims. He made a a pretty unusual argument, uh, alleging interference from then-President Donald Trump. Um, And the court sustained his protest that the Pentagon ended up just scrapping the program entirely, uh, saying that they were going to create a new program, the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability, that was going to go to two awardees, Industry Insider, say likely Microsoft and AWS. So that's an extreme success for for Bezos there, recouping lost dollars. They were able to convince a court of that, I guess, but the legal process was back and forth and it lasted over two years. So they were really persistent in that. And I think they had a bunch of arguments also on the technical front, which might have taken up more legal time for Microsoft and for Amazon, even in the Trump administration questions. Right. uh, One source told me that that Bezos' legal team goes after every morsel and nugget they can find. Uh, These are are top-notch lawyers, uh, the the best that money can buy, obviously. These are folks who are are typically arguing in front of the Supreme Court. So they are going after... Uh, you know, every single thing that they can look for to, to make this argument to ultimately recoup those dollars, whether or not they've been successful. In the case of, of Jedi, extremely successful. In the case of NASA's lunar lander, it's more of a mixed bag. So the Jedi replacement is going to be called the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability. There have been no awards yet, so it's kind of speculation that they would go to both AWS and Microsoft. What then could we expect? Suppose they go to Microsoft and Company X. Oracle has a cloud. IBM has a cloud. Google has a cloud. Lots of non-household names that have clouds. Sure. It's absolutely an open competition, uh, though industry insiders and watchers say that AWS being the market leader is very likely to get the award. Whether or not they do, um, what Bezos' legal team has done is give them a second chance here. And it's the exact same thing that happened with the lunar lander. Uh, They lost a contract to SpaceX last year. Uh, the protest ended up not working. They went to GAO. They went to the Court of Federal Claims. Um, but using another tool in, in Bezos's toolbox, Blue Origin's lobbying might was able to secure the prospect of a, a second lunar lander, a $10 billion lunar lander that he's going to get another stab at. So again, industry watchers say Blue Origin, Bezos's company, very likely to get that, that second lunar lander. Nothing's definite, but, but getting that second stab um, is certainly very valuable to Bezos. 
We're speaking with Josh Axelrod. He's a reporter for Bloomberg Government. And before we get more into the SpaceX situation, I wanted to come back to, or the Blue Origin situation, I wanted to come back to the legal teams that you mentioned that Bezos and Amazon hire. What are the firms? Yeah, and, and you can look to, to some of my reporting and, and to some of my colleagues at Bloomberg Government who have been following the play-by-play here. These are folks who are, are typically arguing in front of the Supreme Court um, whose job it is to to go after every single thing that they can go after. And that's yielded you know extreme success for, for AWS and for Blue Origin. These are folks like uh, Ted Olson and, and Ted Boutros at Gibson Dunn. Again, folks who are, are typically arguing in front of the Supreme Court, wielding what, what sources told me and, and called a, a scorched earth protest strategy. It's almost the way Microsoft fought in court, you know, what was it, 20 years ago against the antitrust and so forth with the mm-hmm. Clinton administration. So I guess what goes around comes around right. in some ways. And talking about the lobbying effort more than the legal protest effort, when SpaceX got the NASA award and Blue Origin wanted it. So it sounds like the lobbying investment uh, has been pretty substantial also for for Amazon. Absolutely. I'd say that this is all part of a larger strategy that Bezos wields. Um, He is relentless, not just in using protests, but using every arrow he has in his quiver. So when the protest to GAO didn't work, he went to the Court of Federal Claims. Amid these legal proceedings, he he took the move of writing an open letter to the NASA administrator offering a a couple billions dollar discount. Um, When all of this didn't work, he used Blue Origin's lobbying power um, to get Senator Maria Cantwell from it from state of Washington, where Blue Origin is headquartered, to introduce legislation that, that was going to get this second $10 billion lunar lander. Of course, Senator Bernie Sanders tried to get it canceled. He called it a Bezos bailout. But his effort a, a few months back failed. And it looks likely that that NASA is going to create the second lander for redundancy. That's a good point, because the NASA administrator is not actually a source selection authority. Mm-hmm. And under the regulations, you can't lower your bid after an award has been made and then expect to get the award. It's simply not legal under federal acquisition regulations. So that's when they move to the lobbying. We should also point out that in your reporting, they haven't done or accomplished anything illegal. They just simply use the existing apparatus in a way that is sort of breathtaking. Certainly nothing illegal here, but it's a strategy that could come back to bite them in the butt. Um, As I said, sources told me this is a scorched earth strategy. And what they mean by that is that a a protest can be a double-edged sword. Of course, if you're able to protest and recoup lost dollars, or at least as we're talking about the prospect of lost dollars, that's a massive success. At the same time, what you're essentially doing is lambasting the, the government, pointing out every dysfunction and inadequacy in the process, what one source called basically calling them the village idiot and then asking for more money. Now, of course, acquisition officials are going to tell you they're, they're unbiased. They're not going to let their personal feelings enter into the equation. I know if I were in their shoes, I, I might have some choice words for Bezos if he came back to me asking for more money. That's what they say about the federal market. It's one of the few where you can regularly sue your customer and still get business. Josh Axelrod is a reporter for Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much for joining me. Great to be here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. 
Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, 
my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, You know, from historical to current, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.